Joining me now, he is a columnist for the Montreal Gazette, Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going today? It's going pretty well. I'm uh, nice and rested. Uh, I'm ready to go. I'm excited for the season to start. Yeah, me too. I, I've been, I'm, I'm really pumped, you know, as we're getting re- real close to it. And, you know, the World Juniors were on this past week, a uh, week or two, and uh, it was a good tournament as always. But, you know, now I'm just, I'm really excited to turn to the NHL and especially this Canadian division. You know, I feel like everyone I've had on here, my, my opening statement is just how excited I am to watch just 56 games uh, plus of just Canadian hockey this year. You know, uh, it's something that I wouldn't want every year, but for one year of just absolute chaos, I think this could be really, really exciting. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I used to work for the uh, national broadcaster here in Canada, and I know Sportsnet has had like a tough time with uh, the way that things have gone with Canadian teams not making the playoffs in a lot of years. And Canadian teams kind of disappointing, uh, not going very far. So I think this year, as much as it's a shortened year and they're not getting as many games to broadcast, an all-Canadian division gives them an unbelievable uh, ability to recoup some of that lost uh, money from the last year or so. I think it's going to be all hype all year long. We're going to get some crazy games, some real amazing rivalries developed with like 10 games between certain teams. That's I think it's going to be super fun. Yeah, for sure. And even just into the playoffs, you know, we get guaranteed four Canadian teams to make it a guaranteed uh, semifinal of a Canadian matchup. And then uh, someone in the quote unquote conference final, I guess, is what, you know, if you want to call it that, whatever the final four we're calling this year, you know, and so it on one hand, it's like, well, we only get one team, but you know, you're guaranteed the one team. And I think that is something to be super excited about as well. So, um, you know, hopefully the, the year goes where, um, you know, I think a lot of people are expecting where this Canadian division um, is really close all year. You know, I think Ottawa is a distant seventh, which is pretty fair to say. But, you know, in a 56 game season, anything can happen. And I think the, the best outcome for I mean, just any fan is, you know, that a lot of these teams are close and it's not a very obvious gap of who is the best. And, um, you know, today we're going to get into a team that. I, I, I go back and forth on really a, a lot of the time, if I'm being quite honest, and that's the Montreal Canadiens. You know, there's there's a lot of pieces I really like here, and I still have my questions as well. So, you know, we, looking back at last year, they were a team that finished tw- – I feel like a lot of people forget that they finished 24th, you know, when the season was shut down. And honestly, they were about, I think, a point away from not even making the return to play because Buffalo was pretty close on their heels. Um, despite that, they came in and – in four games, they looked really, really strong against a Pittsburgh Penguins team that didn't seem to have it, and that booked their way to the playoff spot. Yeah, it was it was a really strange year, and it, it's one of those situations where you have, like, the Canadians fan base is very confident because of the way that last season ended, right, where they got that really a gift from the NHL in being able to play in the playoffs, play in the play-in round, to extend that back to the 24th place team, uh, which they were. Uh it was an incredible situation for them and they made the most of it. There, there's no doubt of that. Like I, I thought they played the Philadelphia Flyers probably even better than they played the Penguins. It's just that the luck ran out in the goal scoring. And, you know, it, when Brennan Gallagher was injured and he couldn't get the goal scoring done, they don't really have anybody else there to put, or last year at least, they didn't have anybody else there to put the puck in the net on a consistent basis. So it, it just, their, their racetrack ran out, but they looked like a team that could compete in the playoffs last year. I think the step that Nick Suzuki took and that Jesperi Kokaniemi took in the playoffs gave like reinvigorated the fan base in a lot of ways. Uh, it made people believe in the future of the team where they were kind of doubting it uh, over the last several seasons. 
But I think you also have to take into context that this is a team that's missed the playoffs legitimately missed the playoffs for the last three straight seasons. And the season before that they were bounced pretty handily in the playoffs by the New York Rangers, which wasn't a very good team. So it's, it's a team where like you can see the makings of something good there, but there's a lot of question marks and you know, like that center line right now, they've got Philippe Deneau, who is a legit, really good uh, two-way center who plays on one of the best lines in the league. And then they've got Nick Suzuki, who's good, but young, just Barry Kokaniemi, who's good, but young and Jake Evans, who's good, but young. So it's like, you're counting on a lot of youth there out up the middle. And I think I agree with what they've done in trying to insulate them by getting a lot of great wingers, but it's one of those things like how strong can your wings take or how far can your wings take you if your centers aren't that good. So they have to hope that that step that they saw in a short window last year is real and not just a short sample size kind of thing. Exactly. And that's, what's really so intriguing about this team really is um, you know, you know, last year, I think they also, they, they were hurt a lot during the regular season. And I think some of that, you know, they maybe convinced themselves that without injuries, they'd be a little closer than what they were anyways. But um, it really is going to come down, I think, to this year of do Karniemi and uh, Suzuki look even close to what they look like in the bubble? Because if they do, this is a, a really good team or, you know, for the division they're in anyways, you know, this is a team that I could really see giving a lot of people trouble because for years they, you know, their underlying metrics are no issue. You know, they, they dominate possession. It's just who's going to put the puck in the net is always the biggest question. And that's kind of where, you know, if we want to start with the forwards, I I don't know if it was answered this year, but I'm curious to see, you know, because obviously they make the max Domi for Josh Anderson trade and they lock Josh Anderson up long-term and as risky as the move that is, you know, looking at this year, I think they're hoping that, you know, he can at least find some more of that scoring touch. You know, he had, he had a bad, bad year last year, obviously, but you know, he, it was just a couple of years ago where he potted a whole bunch. I think it was what, 30. And so if, if he can find his game like that, you know, maybe there's a couple more goals and uh, they picked up Tyler to as well, who I really, really like. But my question with him is, um, you know, he kind of sometimes has the, the, the same issues as this Canadian team where he drives play at an unreal rate, but he, he struggles to finish at times. And so I, I think their biggest question is going to be along with the centers. Can the centers hold up, but also um, are they going to get enough goal scoring? You know, can they get some guys to just chip in a couple more goals here or there, you know, than uh, maybe you would expect. Yeah. And, and that is the interesting thing. Like both Anderson and Toffoli are volume guys, right? Uh, they still don't have a sniper on that team which is super interesting because I think that's what their power play has been missing the most. They had the playmaking last year. They had like the shot volume, but they didn't have the guy who could just rip it from the high slot and score on goaltenders who were already set. You know, like they just don't have that. They don't have an Austin Matthews. They don't have uh, a Leon Dreisaitl. And they have to have somebody that's that elite, but just somebody who you can count on day in, day out to score 30, 35 goals. They, like a Max Patch ready who they traded away, right? Like I think they did really well in that trade, especially getting Nick Suzuki and Thomas Tatar has been great, but they lost something too. Uh, they have not been able to replace that high-level sniper. I don't think they believe that Josh Anderson's that guy, and I don't think they believe that Tyler Toffoli's that guy either, but they are good players right well at least anderson if he rebounds to what he was before the injury is a good player so the way i look at it is they've instead of going going after one high-end guy they're decide they decided that they want four lines that can score so the canadians didn't really have that much trouble scoring at even strength last year it was all on the power play so i don't know if that's 
going to be fixed. I think strategy needs to come into play there. Uh, less reliance on Shea Weber is going to be a big deal because everybody knows that puck is going to Weber on the power play. Uh, number one, you have to get him closer to the net. And number two, you got to use him as a decoy sometimes. It's not Weber's fault. He does his job out there. He scores power play goals when he gets a chance. But everybody knows that shot's coming. People are getting in the way. People are getting away the passes. It's just too predictable. So they've got to mix things up there. I think Nick Suzuki should help. Uh, he's a very creative player. Uh, he seemed to help a lot in the playoffs. They had a better power play in the playoffs. But again, it's one of those things where I haven't seen enough from this team long-term to believe that they have a good power play strategy going forward. But I think it even strength, they've got the depth there that even if guys aren't scoring as much as their scoring chances dictate they should, there's enough depth that they should still get by on most nights. Yeah, and it's definitely an interesting way to build the team out and not one I necessarily disagree with, you know, like if you can't get that sniper and, you know, uh, I thought they definitely lacked a goal scorer and I, I don't know if Mike Hoffman was that guy, but I, I always said that someone like him would make enough sense, but, you know, he comes obviously with his own um, off ice personality stuff, I think as well. So, um, but, you know, if you can't find that guy, you know, why, why not build all the way? So, you know, you get the aggregate, you know, you bring in a couple good guys who maybe don't do the exact thing you need, but they help you so much in other ways that like at, at some point, if you're out chancing guys by, you know, 58 to 42%, eventually that's going to turn into just more goals for you as well. You know, like, unless you literally can't score, which most of the guys in the NHL, no matter how good or bad are dangerous players. So I, I do like the way that um, they've at least tried to build this team out. And this forward core is, it, it's very intriguing to me because I, I see the, um, the potential for, um, you know, a, a pretty good core overall. They're not, uh, you know, the first line, it feels just underrated, I guess is the best way I would say. I feel like a lot of people wouldn't say their first line is dominant, but um, they have one of the better first lines in the league, especially by a possession standpoint. And, you know, I really love Brendan Gallagher. I think he's been forever one of the most underrated wingers in the league. And then, you know, again, it just comes down to Suzuki. If he can center a line with like Drew Ann or Toffoli and Josh Anderson on it, you know, you have a pretty good top six and your depth might look all right then as well. Yeah, it's super interesting. I find the discussion around the Canadians top line so fun because like, you can watch them play and it's so obvious that they're incredibly dominant. And you look at the, the underlying numbers and they're incredible. And people are like, okay, but they don't, they're don't they not an elite line because, you know, like look at the McDavid line comparatively. And like, yeah, McDavid's always going to put up more points than those guys. None of them are very good on the power play. That's what's holding them back in terms of point totals. In terms of even strength goals or five on five goals, that line actually outscored the McDavid line last year. So like they're putting up the offense. It's just not coming on the power play. And that's not necessarily a lines job, right? Like that's a systems thing. Uh, that's a, a roster issue where they don't have a select guys that need to fit in certain roles. But in terms of evaluating one line, I think you evaluate them at even strength, right? So they're, they're a line, I believe last year, they were the first or second best team or first, first or second best line at controlling uh, shot attempts, expected goals and shots on goal and scoring chances, all that stuff. And over the last three years, they're definitely first. Uh, like Brennan Gallagher is like first with a bullet and like all those possession metrics. It's, it's ridiculous how good he is. Uh, they're, they're just a line that doesn't get nearly enough respect because the, the point totals don't accurately reflect what people would expect from like a high end top line. But if you 
isolate to the time that they actually play together, they are incredible. And that's why, you know, when uh, Philippe Deneau kind of complained after the playoffs about taking being taken off that line and being pushed down the depth chart and people were like, oh, this guy's a big whiner. Like, no, like he knows that line is incredible and you don't mess with something that good unless you have a very good reason to do so. Uh, the Canadians were obviously trying to ride the hot hand in Nick Suzuki and get him more ice time and it worked short term. But uh, at the end of the day, there's a reason why that line's back together at the start of training camp. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, you know, why mess with what you have going, especially because, um, you know, the three just kind of work really well together. It's not like a Boston situation where, or, you know, a Colorado situation where all three of those guys on that top, on those top lines are stars on their own. It's, um, you know, these guys are, they'll, the, a lot of these guys will play well with whoever they have to play with, but they just, they work so much better together. And, and why would you break that up? And so I, I definitely see why you would want to start it. And then, you know, looking down this lineup again, it has the potential to be pretty good. I, I like their depth, especially at wing, as you mentioned, you know, right now, daily faceoff has Paul Byron and Arturi Lekkinen starting on their fourth line. And that's a pretty solid fourth line winger combo to have, you know, Joel Armia and Tyler Toffoli on the third line. And uh, then Josh Anderson drew in on the second line. And they also got some, you know, veterans that they brought in that I think we'll definitely see in the mix in, in Corey Perry and Michael Froelich. And um, you know, I, I would assume the guy like Corey Perry will probably come in if, you know, when you're playing maybe the teams at West, I would assume, or maybe even a team like Ottawa, where it's going to be more of a chippy game than say against a Toronto might be. And, and um uh, you know, I, I'm I'm curious to see how much a couple of these guys have left in the tank and, and just really how they're used too, because obviously the schedule is so condensed. It's like you're playing every other night for three months straight. You know, how is the 35-year-old Corey Perry, who who looked pretty good last year uh, on the return to the bubble, um, you know, how's he going to hold up? Are they going to use him for half the games on back-to-backs? You know, what's his role on this team going to be in, in your estimation? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with what you've got like what's in your head there is I think he's like a spot filler guy. I think if the power play struggles, they're going to get him into the lineup just to, to sit in front of the net and try to tip pucks in um, the way they talked about him is that they still think that he's an elite power play guy, which I think is questionable. I haven't uh, looked into that yet. It's a column idea that I'm planning on uh, researching, but I haven't started yet, but uh, I think Corey Perry is like a decent depth guy who can do certain specific things very well. So I don't expect him to be an everyday player. Uh, like you said, 35 years old, condensed schedule. That just works against him. Michael Froelich, I'm really interested to see what he has left in the tank because he was a very good player for a very long time, very underrated, not a big-time point producer, but a very good uh, play driver. So I, I see Froelich as kind of like if Paul Byron is hurt, Froelich slots in kind of thing, right? Whereas uh, Corey Perry, he he comes in at the power play, needs some some work or if they need just a little bit more push and shove in the lineup. I think this is the other thing that people kind of haven't talked about a lot is that this team that has a reputation for being very small suddenly has a little bit more size up front and on D. So whether or not that has much of an impact on their wins and losses is questionable, but you know, if you, all things are equal, you can get two guys, completely equal talent. One's five, nine and one six, two. Of course you go with the guy who's six, two. And I don't think they sacrificed any talent by acquiring larger players either. So it's, it's an interesting situation this year. I think they have the ability with the depth that they have to also play like the matchup game, right? So if they feel like Corey Perry is a better fit in a specific game against a specific roster, 
he could slot in there. And if they think that uh, they need more defensive presence, like Arturi Lekin, and he could slot in there, or maybe UL Armia sits a couple games. It's there's so much utility with what they have built in their forward core right now that I'm interested to see how much it's used in, or versus like just running with one roster and, you know, winning your in type of thing. Yeah, I think you nailed it with that versatility stuff too. And really just how important it is that they didn't sacrifice anything to get it, you know, like, um, I feel like it's oftentimes if you go on something like Twitter, it's, it feels like you have to be on one side, you want physical grit or you want skill and it doesn't need to be either, or it's just, you know, a lot of the time the people who want skill is, you know, if you're going to bring in grit, that's fine, but you can't sacrifice your skill for, it. you know, you can't be paying a Milan Lucic $6 million to come in and, and play, you know, wherever you're paying him for $6 million. But if you can get Corey Perry on a 750 K deal and, yeah, especially with the understanding that, you know, he's not what he used to be. He's going to be playing in a much more condensed role. Um, you know, that can be really effective because there's a lot of different um, style of teams, I'd say, in this um, Canadian uh, division. You know, I was talking the other day about the Edmonton Oilers and and just how important it could be if, you know, Dreisaitl and McDavid are split up so that they can play different ways too. You know, you can match up against more top-heavy teams or teams that are a little bit deeper, you know, like Toronto might be spreading out. You know, they got Tavares and Matthew on separate lines. They could put Nylander on a third line. You know, that way you can use your depth and play in a different way like that, whereas a team like Ottawa is probably going to load up that top line with Brady Kachuk, Evgeny Dadanov, and someone up the middle. And, you know, that might be the only line you really need to neutralize. So just the ability to play in a bunch of different ways, I think, is going to be super important, especially just because, you know, you mentioned it. There's it, with like so many games in a row against each other, there's going to be rivalries built. But there's going to be a really interesting coaching matchup, too. If you play a team four times in eight days and then play them two times like three weeks later, I'm really curious to see in the game to game, but week to week, how the uh, strategies, you know, different uh, differentiate, you know, if, if a team tries to throw something completely different uh, one night after another. Yeah, it, it's super interesting. I think it's more like um, almost like a football season, you know, like it's not as short and not everything is going to be reliant on like the results of one game, but there's just so much more roster strategy this year, or at least potential for roster strategy this year. I I love it. I w- I almost wish that you could like swap in somebody in game, you know, like if you're just not feeling somebody's game, you could just swap in somebody else. Just make it totally crazy. Like uh, have, have substitutions like soccer. I, I just really am looking forward to seeing how this shakes out. Um, I think there's more, uh, unpredictability in a shortened season. So you could see a team that, you know, a lot of people are calling to be very good. Like the Canadians flame out spectacularly, you know, so much is still dependent on Carey price. And there, like we've talked about, there were some question marks, you know, their defense is not young, you know, uh, Shea Weber is not getting any younger. Jeff Petrie is over 30 now as well. And then you've got two guys in Ben Sherratt and Joel Edmondson who are not, particularly you know great play drivers in any sense good is the way i would put it yeah i'm trying i'm trying to be kind i'm trying to be kind ben sherrod had a good season last year alongside shea weber but a lot of that came in like a two-month stretch where the two of them were just crushing it and then everyone thought they were amazing in the playoffs but it turns out that uh, weber was uh sherrod was a disaster but the thing is like shea weber has really bucked the aging curve the last couple of years like uh, i wrote about it for Sportsnet that uh, essentially most players start to dip down offensively as they age that's like the first thing that kind of goes away and 
you can like as players are older and they're they're veterans, the refs kind of let them get away with more. So their defensive impact can stick around a little bit longer. But Weber's offensive impact at even strength specifically has been going up and up the last three years, which is super strange. So he's been bucking the aging curve. Part of that has been because the Canadians have played him more and more with that top line. Now, part of that is for matchup reasons, because that's their, their matchup line and he's their top matchup defenseman. But when you play with a line that crushes it, no matter who plays behind them, it's going to inflate your numbers. So I, I do wonder if at age 35, you know, how many reps does Shea Weber have left in the tank? I don't think he's suddenly going to become bad, but if he can't be a number one defenseman and say Jeff Petrie also starts to decline a little bit, which is totally natural. We see other players around the beginning of 30, the early thirties, they start to fall down a little bit too. This defensive group really falls apart. However, speaking of question marks, Alexander Romanov, if he's as good as the Canadians think he is, everything changes once again. Right? So like, there's so many different things going on with this team that are question marks like positive and negative that I just find it so difficult to predict what's going to happen. And I find that extremely exciting. Oh, exactly. And like, I, I really, um, other than Ottawa, you know, I, I try and watch every Ottawa game I can, even though the past couple of years, that hasn't exactly been the most thrilling way to spend my nights, but um, <laughs> Montreal is one of the teams, especially in this Canadian division. I really want to keep my eye on as much as I can, just because I'm so interested in how this team will work because, you know, as you mentioned, I think defense is probably what I'm most worried about. And it's just because there is so many question marks and um, you know, with Weber, he struggled to stay healthy on a full year. And so in a condensed schedule, I do wonder if, you know, they, he's a guy who, you know, maybe we see sit more, more often than we, um, you would think for a guy of, you know, his caliber still, or not even sit, but just maybe there's a couple nights where instead of playing, you know, and I don't know, he probably wouldn't like this, but 23 minutes a night, they try and bump his minutes down to 19 just for the night, you know, like, um, I don't know. I feel like the, the way they deploy him will be so interesting as well, because as you said, he is like, he's the key piece of this defense core right now. Um, you know, without him, I, I, I like Jeff Petrie a lot. I think he's been one of the most just underrated defensemen over the past, you know, four years ish, three years ish, uh, something like that. And, um, but you know, he's getting up there in age too. He's 33. He's not the 29 year old or whatever that, you know, he used to be. And then, yeah, with Joel Edmondson, I just, man, I worry about how they, I really hope that he is not getting a massive role on this team, but I, I don't know. Like I, I thought that signing was one of the worst of the off season. And I mean, it's not going to kill them. It's a $3.5 million cap hit, but I just, I, I don't want to be too harsh on a player. I just, I really don't see too much of what Joel Edmondson brings to an NHL team these days. Yeah. That was the the move that they made. That was the most questionable by far. And, you know, you look at his numbers last year and they were abysmal. Uh, he was one of the worst defensemen in the entire league in terms of like on ice impact. Uh, he was better on the blues, but he wasn't like a difference maker, right? He had a pretty good playoffs with them, but uh, the year they won the Stanley cup. But other than that, like he's one of those guys who's just like guy, you know, like mm -hmm. he, he can shoot the puck, but he doesn't do a whole lot else other than he's like a little bit mean around the net, but he's not particularly great at protecting the net front. So I do wonder what they see with him there, but I guess they feel like he is going to fit really well with Petrie. So it's one of those wait and see moments. And it's not like Petrie can't float. Uh, mediocre players he's done it a lot uh, he, he's I, no disrespect to Brett Kulak who I really like as a player but without Petrie you look at his numbers and they're not very pretty but with Petrie it's he's spectacular so it, it's 
it's interesting to see like how much of an impact can Petrie have. And you hope that uh, at his age that he doesn't start to decline or else he won't have much of an impact at all on the mediocre partner that he's been given. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit questionable. And I also think that the Canadians have Victor Mete in the wings. I'm surprised at how low they have him on the depth chart, but he's a guy who can play either side. And I think he's really underrated. I, I would, I'd be not surprised at all to see Edmondson sit some time uh, and have Victor, Victor Mete take his spot. He's so young. People forget that he, he's still that, like, I think he's 21 years old still. And people think, Oh, well, this guy needs to figure it out right away or he's out of here. And it's like, he's been in the NHL for three years. Cause he made it at 18. He's not yeah. old. You know, like he's it's still incredible. developing. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it feels like he's been here for like five years because this will be his fourth NHL season at age 22. And yeah, you know, he just and, turned 22, right? Like, yeah. So. And a lot of the impatience around him is because people expect a small defenseman who struggles around the net, which he legitimately does to be an offensive force in order to earn their spot in the lineup. And he just hasn't been. And the, the thing is with Weber and Petrie on that team, and now Alexander Romanov jumping him on the depth chart, Petrie is never going to get the power play time that he would need to become an offensive player. So if you're rel- you're hoping for a third pairing defenseman to give up, give you a lot of uh, even strength offense, you're just ne- you're never going to get that. But he is a very good transition player. He's a very good neutral zone defender. He's a very good defender in the offensive zone. And I think people get stuck on the idea that you can only be good at defending as a defenseman in front of the net, and that's what the only thing that counts. But you can defend on every single square inch of that ice, and in most areas. Mete has a very good defensive impact. It's just that he he's always going to get muscled off the puck. It's it's one of the limitations to his game. Every player has limitations. And you got to, even if you don't like it, you got to realize that there's more that he brings positive than what he hurts negative. And I, I would hope that the Canadians have realized that, but uh, based on where they have him in camp, it seems like he's being put into a situation where he has to earn his way on. Yeah, and it, it's a bit of a shame because, you know, I, I definitely think he is probably a better option than a couple of the guys. And I, I do hope that he gets, you know, a, a chance to legitimately play his way in. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. You know, if he's in game five versus game one, it doesn't really matter. But as long as he is getting a shot at some point this year, um, because, yeah, as you said, like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I find even sometimes my eye test with him doesn't always match up with what just I see people talking about him. Like, he's definitely a smaller guy and he gets muscle off the puck, but I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it seems like every single puck battle, people are like, Oh, there's Mene losing again. But I, I feel like there's times where, you know, he might take a hit or get shoved afterwards, but he's moving the puck up in transition or, or getting the transition started Absolutely. and then taking the hit. Right. So like, I don't know if it's just, you know, the disconnect of someone just sees him take a hit and doesn't realize where the puck went or, or what, but you know, I, I do think he is a much more effective player than, you know, sometimes people seem to think he is. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally with you there. And I think it's one of those situations where, like, because he's small, when he gets hit, people are like, oh, he's falling down again. But, like, wouldn't you rather he take the hit instead of ducking away? You know, like, yeah, he, he's actually putting right? his body on the line, yeah. right? So, like, that's what you want from a guy like that to have no fear. And I think early in his career as a rookie, he would duck those hits, right? And he would not engage in the puck battle because he – was worried about getting like thrown on the ice or whatever. And he's, he's kind of gotten over that. And I think playing with Weber those first couple of years gave him the, the confidence to do that because number one, if he did get tossed too hard, the bear on skates was going to destroy somebody. And number two, the way Weber plays 
forces his partner to be very active. So Mete has constant, you know, need to get involved in those battles. So Weber can protect the net. So he, he kind of had to learn by doing. And I, I think that uh, there's a lot to be had there with, with Mete. I, I hope that the Canadians don't give up on him and send him elsewhere unless they get a crazy package in return, because a guy who's that young, who has this much experience already, I think has a lot of value. Yeah, exactly. And just the conversation I'm having with you, uh, it's Deja Rudy yesterday. I was talking about um, Tobias Enstrom and the Jets and just like when, mm, you know, yes. before, before he departed, and it's like, it's literally the exact same stuff where it's like, you know, a guy takes a hit, but makes the play, but everyone just sees him take the hit and they go, oh, he's just way too small to play in the league. And, you know, Tobias, I'm not saying Victor Mede is going to be what Tobias Enstrom was, but he was one of the best defensive defensemen we have seen in the league in a while before you know, he departed to Sweden a couple of years ago. So like, it just, I think it goes to show that like, you know, you don't need to be big to be smart in your own end. And if you're smart in your own end, you, you can definitely have success. That's for sure. Yeah. And I mean, look at the change that the Jets went through when Tobias Enstrom, not, not just when he like went back to Europe, but when he started getting hurt near the end of his career there and, and his place fell off. The Jets used to be one of the NHL's premier defensive teams last year and the year before they were like bottom two, just terrible. And last year, uh, you know, Hellebuck covered for them, but man, if, if it weren't for Hellebuck, they wouldn't be anywhere near the playoffs. Yeah. It, you know, and they've lost other players too. They lost Buffalo as well last year and they lost Truba. So their defense really has been like torn apart, but I, I really do think that, the loss of Enstrom and his decline before that was a big deal for the Jets. And I, I think that's, you know, obviously, I don't think that Mete has the uh, offensive skill that Enstrom had early in his career, but I think it's a good comparable for what the, the two players are capable of doing in transition play and, and like the not passive defense, but defense outside of the net front. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, for Montreal, especially this year, it's not even that, you know, they need Mete to be an unreal defenseman. If he's a solid three slash four, that just helps your decor a lot because, you know, Absolutely. that would hopefully, you know, take the weight off of a couple guys or move a couple guys down the lineup. And, you know, th that's all they really need at this point anyways in, in you know, where they have it. But um, it'll definitely be interesting to watch. And then, you know, um, uh, I guess the last point, really big point to talk here is goaltending with the, with the Montreal Canadiens. And um, this is the one where, I, I don't know. I'm very curious to see how it works. I, I liked the move to bring in Jake Allen for a year. I, I wasn't too sure about the contract extension, but for this year only, I, I think it's going to be really good to have someone like Jake Allen behind Carey Price, who you can trust to hopefully start two or three games in a row if Price needs the break. And um, I, I guess my biggest start is um, maybe not even with Allen, but with Carey Price, where are you, um, where are you at with him as a goaltender? Because I know, the general perception, I think, is probably that he's still one of the league's best. You know, he can steal games whenever he needs to. The statistical impression for public analytics, anyways, is that he's probably not as, you know, he's not that great. He's probably closer to the 15th to 20th best starter. And But there's also been, I know, some microstats and um, private analytics that say he's still a really, you know, that can track pre-shot movement or, or try to and say he's still a really, really good goaltender. So, uh, where are you on Carey Price just in terms of, you know, what he is at today's game? I think Carey Price in a single game, like if you were just going to take any goaltender, is probably still within the top five guys in the league to get you a win. But 
the the issue that I have with Carey Price is I think he's his own worst enemy. And even this year, like he was like, oh yeah, I'm glad to have the support and goal with Jake Allen, but he's not. He, he, I think he said something along the lines of like, I'm, I don't like giving up my net. And it's like, dude, you're gonna be 34 years old next October. Well, I guess you just turned 33, so I, I won't say he'll be 34, but uh, he's in his early to mid 30s. You gotta realize that you need to manage your loads a little bit. You know, like he's never wanted to take a break. It's it's hurt him before where he's played through injuries. Uh, his second year in the league where everybody thought he would just like fell apart. It turned out that he had an an- a high ankle sprain. And instead of taking the recommended like six to eight weeks off, he wanted to come back for the all-star game. So I think he only missed like a week and a half of the NHL played in the all-star game, injured at worst, but played through it the rest of the year anyway. And he was just abysmal. And then Yara Holak stole his job and went on that magical playoff run. Uh, or no, that um, Halak stole his job the next year. So uh, it was uh, that year they, I think they got bounced in four straight by Boston in 2009. That, right. Yeah. yeah. It was, that was a rough one too. But either way, he, he basically forced himself to play injured the rest of the year instead of healing up. He's done that several times before now where he has a groin injury and he just plays through it or he comes back too quick. Uh, the year that he missed almost the entire year, he came back. He kept on falling down because his knee was not healed. And then he hurt it again. And then everyone in the Canadians insisted that he was fully healed. And he just happened to injure the same thing three games after he came back where he was falling over all the time, which conspiracy theory label if you want, but I don't believe it at all. I think he just played through it and, and hurt it worse. So Price is a guy who needs to be told, you know, you have to sit, you have to be, given rest or like, cause we need you at your best. We need you to play games when they matter. And I think he, he might've learned that lesson a little bit in the playoffs last year, just by how much better he was than the regular season. But I just think the main thing with him is he can't be a 60 game goalie, a 65 game goalie anymore. And last year he was on pace for like 72 games. If it was a whole season. So this shortened year condensed schedule, Allen is going to be extremely key and I agree that the extension looks on the surface to be a little bit rich, but at the same time, they need a goalie signed to expose for the expansion draft as well. So Allen may not be here for very long. Uh, and if he is, they're spending a lot of money on goaltending, but they're really shorting all their forwards on cash. So it almost doesn't matter. Like I'm one of those people who like complaining about where teams spend their money doesn't really matter unless you have something that you need to spend on. So if everybody's signed already and you can't find a free agent to sign here anyway, it doesn't really matter. And they, they found the free agent that they wanted anyway into Foley. So they had all that cap space despite overpaying their goaltenders. So who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely like, I think Jake Allen is, you know, my biggest thing is always, especially with goalies over 30 is I don't know how long I would want him signed for, you know, he, he's yes. for three years, you know, it's going to take him to 33 and it's not the worst risk in the world, especially at 2.8. Like, it's not like this is, they didn't give him $5 million for every year. You know, it's not like they're spending 16 million on their goaltending. Yeah. It's 13.3. That's a lot. But at the same time, if you look at that as say you have one starter making seven and you have a tandem guy making five, it's not much more than that. You know, it's just a wider gap uh, in payment. So I'm not too worried about that. I, I do think I, I like the um, definitely the, the comment on, you know, carry price needs to be sat down. I think that's kind of where this organization has kind of failed themselves and him the most in that 
Uh, I get it's a fine line. You know, you, you can't, you know, you don't want to make your player mad, um, especially, you know, a Montreal goaltender you know, in the prime of his career. You know, you don't want to piss him off. But uh, there's got to be a line somewhere where you say, this is not just for you. This is for the team. This is for your long-term health and for your play. Because as you mentioned, um, last year when he came back in the bubble, he had played 10 games in the bubble had a 936, a 1.78 goals against average. You know, I'm pretty sure his advanced statistics look really good too. He looked like much closer to old Carey Price than what we've seen for a number of years now, really, honestly, like since the last time they made playoffs, really. And so I am very interested to see in, in a season like this, if, you know, Jake Allen can take even 20 to 22 games from price. And, you know, he only plays, I think that would leave him with what 30 to 34 ish. Right. Um, I, I feel like that would be a better duo. And then if they do make the playoffs, you know, and which I think if, you know, you're playing Allen that much, you're probably in a pretty good position to make the playoffs. Then you can let price just run free in the playoffs because, you know, that's yeah. when you need him the most. And that's when he can be the most effective. Yeah. And I think the other thing that, uh, that Allen provides security for is that price is a goaltender who has a long in, uh, injury history. Uh, he's missed a lot of time, uh, not just missed time, but played with injuries as well for, I think it was like a five year stretch price finished every single season on the injured reserve, uh, whether it was getting injured in the playoffs or getting injured right before the playoffs or getting injured right at the end of the season where they didn't make the playoffs. He was, he finished a lot of seasons injured. So having a guy like Jake Allen who can play, you know, like 30 out of 82 games in a regular season and be fine gives you that extra security blanket that the Canadians haven't had in a very long time. Uh, they have the ability to have confidence in their backup goaltender that they can make a save, <laughs> which they haven't had for a several while. years now as well. Yeah. So it, it's, I, I think it is an overpay in terms of salary but I think that it's something that they desperately needed as well. And I think Jake Allen, even like he's going to help them in terms of like winning some games. Uh, I think I wrote an article earlier this uh, month for the Gazette about uh, the Canadians wins that they've gotten from backups over the last four years, I believe. And it was something like, uh, like less than a 30% win percentage, which is nuts. So if, if he can win half of his games, you know, in shortened season, it's not going to be a ton of points in the standings, but it's, something that makes a difference between maybe a third place finish and a second place finish, which is home ice. Right. So it, even outside of that, just him being there and being able to play those games and getting price rest is just going to be such a huge deal. Yeah. That, right. Cause that'll get price, you know, in theory anyways, obviously it doesn't work perfectly, but it's not even just if, if um, Allen can win some of his games, it's that price can be healthier for his games. And maybe you see a couple more of the price games become wins, you know, and then suddenly that could be the difference between, you know, third or second, but even fifth and third or something like that, you know, like if, if the division is really that close and um, just to give people an idea of how uh, desperate uh, the Canadians have been to find a backup goalie over the past three seasons. Here's some of the names that they've had as backups. Uh, Al Montoya, who had a minus 5.93 goal saved above average in 13 games. Antti Niemi, who had a minus 11.51 in 41 games. Keith Kincaid, who rocked a minus 26.14 goal saved above average in 88 games. And then their best one has been uh, Caden Primo, who played two games and had a 1.5 goal saved above average. And Charlie yeah. Lindgren has been in there. So it's not a encouraging list of names. So just having stability there definitely, you would think, should help this uh, this team out as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a big thing that uh, is 
outside of the Montreal market, I think being undersold a little bit. I think this is a, a very big deal for the team from a confidence perspective. And I think if you pay attention to any of the like reports around Canadian training camp, it seems like this is a very confident group compared to years past. They, that little taste of what they can do in the playoffs really made them feel like they're not far from being competitive. And the moves that uh, Bergevin made in the off season really solidified everyone. And they're feeling like they've got something special here and it'll be really interesting to see if they do. I, I'm not sure how things will shake out, but I do think that all things being equal, if it were an 82 game season, the only Canadian team I'd have above them right now is Toronto. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high on, you know, this conversation has definitely swayed my way positively for them. I think, you know, it feels like every time I, I, every guest I have on, I have to ask, you know, what, how they see the Canadian division shaking out. And, and for me, the two things, you know, and so much variance that it absolutely, you know, Toronto could end up second, third, fourth. It, with Toronto, it wouldn't shock me if they missed the playoffs. I, I don't think they will, but you know, I have Toronto one and Ottawa seven, and then I go from there to figure out the teams. And recently I've been going, I've been leading the two Alberta teams where I, I do like the Calgary roster a lot. I, I have some questions about their decor, but just the roster as a whole, I think is pretty good. Um, as long as Johnny Goudreau bounces back, which is a big, uh, you know, they need that, you know, and Edmonton I like because of McDavid and because of Dreisaitl and, um, you know, then Winnipeg, I, I don't like that much. You know, I like Winnipeg. Uh, I like Hellebuck and I like the talent they have in the top six, but they, as you mentioned earlier in this podcast, you know, they've been one of the worst defensive teams and that stems with the forwards as well. So, and then Vancouver has enough questions too. So I, I think if I'm estimating where Montreal is right now, I, I think I would still put them in that three to five ish range. I think, um, you know, maybe second, like I can see them finishing anywhere from honestly first, you know, in a 56 game season to sixth, I would say, but more confidently second to fifth maybe i, I think I'm, yeah. I'm leaning winnipeg as the sixth team in this division and then a kind of cluster of the other four but i, I do think that uh montreal is putting put a lot of stuff to go right for them and and if they they use a lot of the pieces in the correct way i definitely see the path for a really good hockey team this year yeah it, it'll be i i hope it kind of I'd like every team to play to their potential, obviously, just because I want like the most high-end entertaining hockey as possible. But uh, I, I think the Canadians have a lot riding on this season because of the, like they kind of have two cores separated, right? They're a team that has a youth movement incoming. Uh, they've got, you know, like Cole Caulfield, who's going to make the team eventually in the next couple of years. And they've got the Kokaniemi Suzuki, that crew. And then you've got like the slightly older, like Drew and Gallagher, those guys who will be around for a bit longer as well. But that the veterans on that team, the the Weber Petrie uh, Price trio, those guys have been so solid for them for so long now. Uh, obviously, Weber not as long as the others, and Petrie not as long as Price. That you want to see them have a little bit of success while those guys are still contributors, and the runway is short for all of them. Uh, no matter how good they are right now, uh, you know Carey Price is not going to be one of the better goaltenders in the league when he's like 37 years old, Shea Weber, how long is he going to be great? Unknown. Uh, and Jeff Petrie, like we talked about before, unknown how, how, how long he can keep it up. So the Canadians had a goal, I think to get things going and become competitive while those guys are still good. 
And if it doesn't work out this year, I think that whole organization, the management structure is in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And they have a big off season coming up too. I, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I didn't really realize that, you know, a lot of their top end forwards are still under contract, but Thomas Tatar, Philip Deneau, Joel Armia, Terry Lekkinen, Jordan Wheel, um, you know, Cotton Yemi needs a new deal after this year. He'll be staying, but they have about, you know, five or six UFAs up front. And this team, um, if it doesn't work out, could look a lot different, you know, next year. And definitely you, you would have to think, I mean, I thought that this is, has to be Bergeron, uh, Bergevin's last kick at the can a couple of times. And he, he just keeps up and going with his job, but yep. you would think if it flames out spectacularly this year that, yeah, there's no way this plan can keep going forward. Um, so it's definitely got to be a year where they need to put their best foot forward. And I, I, again, I, I do see a path that, uh, uh, isn't super unreasonable for at least a pretty good season, you know, where they finish top four in this division. I think they're one of the teams that definitely benefit more from being in this North division because uh, in the Atlantic, I definitely wouldn't have liked their chances to make playoffs near as much. I think they would have been um, very clearly the fourth best team in the Atlantic and then yeah. fighting for a wild card. Right. But um, I, I do like the chances in this division for a playoff berth. And then, you know, once you get in the playoffs, we saw last year that they are there. They can be a very, very difficult team to match up with in the playoffs. So um, it's just going to be about getting there first. And, uh, you know, I go back and forth because part of me thought I was going to be higher than, you know, general public on this team. And then I saw, you know, some media reports that like they are, they're favored to win the division. And I go, okay, I, I'm not going to go that far, but I, yeah, I do I think either. they have a strong <laughs> roster. Right. Yeah. It's like, you wouldn't be surprised if they do win it, but, like, like you said, I would not favor them over Toronto. I just look at like all these Canadian teams, every single one of them has had inconsistent results over the last couple of years, except for Toronto. So like, you just have to be honest and say like Toronto is the favorite to win that division. And the fact that they've been ousted in the first round, each of the last four years overshadows the fact that they're the only team that's made it the last four years. So like, yeah, it's easy to make fun of them, but like every other Canadian team, you haven't been able to go there. You know, like, yeah, exactly. so uh, yeah. it's it's easy to make fun of, but they're the team to beat. Well, especially because, you know, them, you know, getting ousted in the first and even like I'd say some Leaf fans probably aren't happy with the regular season over the past three years. And like, to me, that just shows how much talent that team has, because if that's them underperforming their potential, you know, if they find that next year, this year, they, they are going to be the most dangerous team in this division for sure. But 100 um, percent. Yeah. And I mean, again, anything can happen. It's a 56 game season and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But I, I think that's, you know, just part of what you have to look forward to, because, um, you know, with just the way the schedule set up, there's a, a lot of times where you can make or break your own season. You know, if you play a team four times in a row and it's, you know, near the end of the season, if you go four and oh, or oh and four against that team, you know, instead of just two and two, you're either going to be looking really, really good or really, really bad. And, you know, it might be no one else's fault, but your own. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how this season plays out and I'm, I'm super excited really. Like I think this should be honestly for, you know, a team that I'm cheering for, I think they are going to be a bottom five team. This is the most excited I've been for an NHL season in a very long time. Yeah. I'm totally with you. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Andrew, you know, pl plug some stuff. Where can people find you and find your work? Uh, right now, the Montreal Gazette, uh, that's the main thing that I've got going. I've got lots of irons in the fire at the moment. So stay tuned to my Twitter account at Andrew Berkshire and, uh, I'll have, uh, hopefully some really exciting news over the next couple of weeks. Awesome. I look forward to, it. I always enjoy reading your stuff. It's always uh, a plus stuff. So um, yeah, I can't wait for that. And thank you so much for joining me. I'll have to have you on again later in, down the road as the season gets going.
Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. As I said, huge thank you to Andrew Berkshire for joining me. Uh, I, I just keep getting blown away with how, you know, how much fun this is and how great the conversations are, how much I'm learning from them. So, you know, I, I hope you guys are, are taking, uh, uh, feeling the same way. You know, I really hope that, you know, uh, you're enjoying these. And as always, you know, thank you for all the support. Uh, Ten episodes. Uh, it, it feels like just the other day I started this podcast and started at a horrible time. But the season's almost here. Uh, we're getting ready. I got one more. I get the Leafs preview. Uh, you know, I got a really exciting guest for that, and that's going to be coming out tomorrow if you're listening to this on uh, Monday. So, uh, and then after that, I'm going to go back to a bunch of Sens guests, I think, for a little while. Um, you know, break down what Ottawa's doing. Uh, I still plan on hoping to get a couple guests from other teams or around the um, uh, Canadian division on during the year uh, because I think that'll be a lot of fun, you know, to look at things from their scope too. But um, yeah, after after this Leafs division preview tomorrow, I, um, uh, I'm going to go back to Sens guests. So, you know, I'm going to do an Ottawa Senators division preview obviously this week as well, uh, you know, from their st- standpoint. And then from them, we'll actually have games, you know. Thursday, Friday, we, we get, or Friday, sorry, Friday, Saturday with the Leafs on a, on a back-to-back to start the year. And then I think they're on Monday again. So, um, you know, we're, we're right there. Uh, another team in the Vancouver Canucks, first in their uh, Ottawa's division, had to shut down uh, on Sunday as I'm recording this. And so, fingers crossed, that's not too much. But, uh, yeah, as always, thank you all for listening. You can find the podcast at Last Word on Sends on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Uh, and if you have any comments or anything like that, I, I love to hear them. Seriously, um, and just thank you all for the support lately. It's really meant a lot, and I love I love doing this, and it makes uh, the hard work. Uh, it really makes me feel like it pays off when you see that people enjoy it. So, um, thank you everyone for listening, and I will talk to you all tomorrow.